What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. Before we jump into an awesome episode with Mr. Chris Freaking Hunt, uh, a few quick updates. Number one, thank you all for the ratings and reviews. Please, if you haven't yet, please take just a quick second to leave a comment and a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, it gives me the warm and fuzzies and uh, indeed does help get the show in front of more people. Uh, number two, swag. My wife and I have uh, got a few designs put together, thrown into the shop and I am super happy with how they have turned out. Both the print quality, the fit, feel, finish, all of the good stuff. Please purchase it at vanguardstories.com and tag us on the Instagrams. And finally, today's episode is brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. I just got my hands on one of the 300 milligram espresso triple shot cold brews in the caramel vanilla flavor and hot damn is it smooth. Uh, I feel like if I were to have slammed it, I could probably see sm or see sounds and smell colors. Wow, I think it's hitting already. Be sure to pick yours up online and use code Vanguard for 20% off your first order. That is code Vanguard for 20% off your first order, but that is enough yammering for me today. Let's roll it. <laughs> What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. For those of you new to the show, my name is Austin Jardine, and uh, I'm just some dude outside of Boise, Idaho, talking to another dude from Idaho, or at least grew up, kind of spent some time in the area, and that would be Mr. Chris Hunt. And we, we uh, on this podcast, like to sit down and talk to people, get to know who they are, where they come from, what they've done to get to where they're at, and uh, hopefully give you some uh, experiences that they face to uh, give you some tools and uh, hopefully get you excited, motivated and moving in a fun direction. So that being said, Chris, man, how, how are you? It's a, uh, it's Sunday afternoon. We're recording and uh, drinking some coffee. Yeah, I'm good. Um, I'm sitting down in the art department at black rifle, uh, uh, waiting for my Mandalorian armor that I'm painting to dry in the back parking lot and talking to you. So it could be worse for sure. <laughs> yeah. Right. I know. Yeah. You said you were painting it up, making it all like uh OD, coyote badass looking yeah we'll see how it turns out <laughs> <laughs> cool man well you know i don't know or i guess for people who don't know you do you mind uh, giving us a, an introduction of yourself and then uh, i'll start interrupting uh, yeah um cliff notes version um <laughs> uh son of a truck driver born in ohio moved to boise when i was nine um so i was super sick, weird bubble kid that hung out with adults, mostly truck drivers, uh, throughout my childhood. And, um, so didn't really get to know kids very well because they were boring as hell and just roamed around coast to coast every summer from like three to about 10. And, um, which really influenced my view on, I, I didn't realize that most kids didn't see the entire country, um, in their childhood. So, that kind of in, ended up influencing my, my way of seeing things, but, um, moved parents split sheets when I was like five, mostly with my mom all the time, who was working two, three jobs at a time, teaching herself and ended up getting a job at, in Boise at a place called trust Jess McMillan at the time, which was like an engineered lumber company. And, um, she didn't have like any of the degrees, didn't have anything on paper that she needed, but she taught herself everything. Uh, it, which big influence on my life, you know, down the road. Um, my mom just would 
do it by hook or by crook, basically. So I told you earlier when she got the job and I talked to her later, she was kind of hoping she was going to make me go. And so she was kind of hoping that I was going to say, no, no, I want to stay in Ohio. So when she asked me if I wanted to go to Idaho, I was like, do they have mountains there? She's like, yeah, you can see them from the office. I'm like, let's fucking go. Uh, so we packed up and she hammer landed it for like three days from Ohio to Boise in her 94 Nissan Altima. And that was kind of, that was kind of it. But, um, I'd wanted to make comics since I was about that age that we moved out to Idaho. Um, there was a guy back in Ohio who my aunt and uncle knew that was making comics named Paul Pope and he lived in town I never got to meet him, but, um, I was reading his comics and I was just, I always had drawn since I was little. And um, the idea that somebody somebody's occupation was to make up worlds and then draw them seemed really fetching to me. <laughs> um, and so I was like 10 and I was like, I'm going to make comics someday. And um, but this the, the stuff this guy was making weren't really like it wasn't Spider-Man, Batman stuff. It was like his own stories. So, again, didn't know at the time that I was looking at a very narrow window of experience. And so when I told people I want to make comics, I they thought I'm, I wanted to do Spider-Man or Batman. Really what I was saying is I want to create my own comics. And so uh, I'm going to gloss over a whole shit ton of stuff because there's a lot of <laughs> my life's been random. But um, I eventually got a hold of Paul um, in like when I was 21. And um, he ended up kind of coaching me from a distance. And then we ended up becoming friends. Then I ended up, uh, he ended up teaching me. And then I ended up moving to New York City to uh, basically be his apprentice and his assistant. And, um, and there's a whole lot of stuff <laughs> happened <in> between <laughs> those two points. Uh, you know, like high school was interesting, but um, uh, like I was on the drag race team at Timberline. And, you know, I was like, so I was a comic book dude with like a hot rod pickup truck and a motorcycle uh, <laughs> that like didn't do his homework, but aced all the tests and like, we did a bunch of, we were like on the, the video kids too. So like, uh, just storytelling has just been my thing for a long time. I loved, I loved narrative and I've been obsessed about it. And as I've been at the, putting the art department together with Evan at Black Rifle and I've been having to teach people, I've kind of realized, I always thought that, again, I didn't think of myself as the anomaly. Like uh, I've been evidently studying stories and story crafts since I was about in elementary school yeah. uh, so so when people were asking me questions they're like how do you know about Gilgamesh and you know Beowulf and jo Joseph Campbell I'm like oh I read about that shit when I was like in junior high you know like <laughs> and so my toolbox is is a lot bigger than would probably be expected for my age plus Paul was a very well-read very well-educated person as well and you know in addition to us being comic book nerds so like um my curiosity is what always drove me. And I just, I, if I wasn't on the truck in the summers, I was working. And if I wasn't working, I was at a library. Um, but my family owned, owning a moving company in Ohio and my mom and my stepdad owned construction business. If there was just no, if you weren't active, if you weren't moving, studying, then I, then you were, you were working. So um, I, I, I never had like the summer hangout. I was working 40 hours a week um, when I was like 13, 14 um, under the table. And then I could legally get a job. Uh, and I became a barista at Moxie Java uh, <laughs> back in the day. My interview was actually September 11th, 2001. It was that day oh, yeah. that my 
I have a cop, my interview for a coffee shop where this is, this is, this will tell you a lot about me. Like the, everybody thought the world was ending and that we were like going to like be at war that day. And I was like, well, I got an appointment at three o'clock to go interview at Moxie Java. Can't miss that. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's kind of like my personality in a nutshell. If I say I'm going to do something, I tend to do it. Um, but um, yeah, I just, I pursued comics, but in the midst of that, I was a Starbucks store manager when I was in my early twenties and worked at a construction company as well. Um, yeah, I mean, doing labor, also managing the office. Um, I ended up traveling a bunch for uh, comics, pardon me. And um, all the while I was, you know, learning how to be an adult, you know, I alluded to it before, like a lot of my, a lot of the back end of my twenties and then in my thirties was after a bit of a shift after all my friends started dying in Boise, like in this really narrow window of time in 2010. And I was like, not that naive person that didn't think that I was ever going to die or people around me were going to die. In fact, I'd, I'd kind of like, I had almost died enough times as a child from like my health issues that I was like, man, I'll be, I'll be stoked if I make it to 30. So I kind of had that mentality. But like when everybody else started dying, that was a real jarring experience to see, to see young people die is a really odd thing. Um, and then, like I mentioned, I, we ended up having a friend who had terminal cancer that we just kind of like ended up helping to die well, um, which while we were doing it, we weren't thinking about it. Then it was over. And then when we all realized we were fucked up as a result, then uh, it's taken years to get back from that. But like it, it that that really cemented who I am now like you know I had empathy before but my empathy is a lot more pronounced and um uh it it's always right below the surface and and being in an environment like Black Rifle where trauma is not exactly uh an alien concept to people um it's it's actually nice to be able to have conversations with people and I think there's a certain uh, this might be kind of fucked up to say but there's a certain level of uh darkness that i require in friendships now um that we don't have to talk about dark shit it's just that like i can kind of just tell when somebody uh doesn't take things for granted if that makes sense yeah there's this reality uh, to it versus yeah and that and so that i'm surrounded by people like that at black rifle which is probably one of the best parts about working here because I, I wouldn't I, I was just freelancing before i came down here i was up in northern idaho and um I, I only, I didn't, I wasn't like looking for a corporate job, I guess is what I'm saying. Like I only was willing to give up my freedom to help Evan. Um, and, um, and I was a customer before he ever got a hold of me. Like, and I was like back in Ohio helping my grandparents working out of, out of there for a bit. And, um, I remember like coming across their videos and getting sucked in and being like, I don't know who these people are, but I want to work for them at some point. Um, and that was like 2016, 2017. Yeah. And, uh, and then like 2018 or 19, maybe it was 18. Evan got a hold of me on Instagram and we just kind of started talking from there. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, like I, I love, I love working here, but it, it feels like I found not, I found the, I found this spaceship with the other aliens. We're not all the same alien, but we're, <laughs> we're all some kind of alien that's that's awesome that's that's a hell of a story man <laughs> that's that is as fast and as clip noty as i could do because there's so much random shit 
in the middle of all that. <laughs> no, dude, that's good. Well, I've got I've got a couple like questions. So I like to try. I'm going to do my best to, to live up maybe to your to your storytelling expectations. So when it comes to when it came to the comic stuff and, and kind of falling down the storytelling rabbit hole, what was it? What drew you to that? And then how did you go about studying it? What drew me to it was um, I like I didn't understand for a long time that like what stories and movies were. Like I like so I, I love Smokey and the Bandit. Uh, it's a Burt Reynolds movie from back in the day, and my dad's a truck driver. And so there's the character played by Jerry Reed in it called Snowman uh, Cletus. And my dad took me to the Louisville Truck Show uh, at one point, and Jerry Reed was there and he was signing. And I thought, I thought Jerry Reed was Cletus. I did not know that Jerry Reed was Jerry Reed. I right. thought I was meeting the man in the movie. And I guess I thought smoking the bandit was more or less a documentary. Uh, <laughs> and, and so like it, like I love my family and uh, I, I had a, I had a good childhood. It just wasn't a normal childhood. And I was alone quite a bit. Um, and, or even like in a room with adults where I had to entertain myself. And so I, I don't know. It was never like, I never, I was always actively engaged when I was consuming stories. I wasn't like I ever was in this mode of like, sit down, check out kind of thing. And I just had this interaction with storytelling, especially movies at that time, where I'm like, there's truth here. Like I just implicitly felt like there was, someone was trying to tell me something with stories. Uh, and, you know, so I gravitated towards Indiana Jones, Star Wars, um, um, both Lucasfilm properties, but um, like characters that were sort of flawed. And I, I loved the arc. I didn't understand what was happening, but I loved how like you would see somebody go from being kind of like an asshole to being a nice guy, or you'd see the farm kid become the capable, um, you know, warrior. And, you know, particularly with Star Wars, you know, I wanted to know as much about that as possible. And I wanted to be not Luke Skywalker, but model myself after like that path of like, oh, okay, so I can start here and then I can end over here as a human, as a person, if I just develop myself and, and learn. And so I would go to the library and I'd be like nine years old reading about transcendental meditation or, you know, Kendo. So I'm trying to learn how to like, how, what's the closest thing I can be to being a Jedi? I mean, it's, it's goober head shit, but at the same time though, like, again, it, it, it kept doing these like diverging paths where I learned about Joseph Campbell and the hero with a thousand faces. I learned about Akira Kurosawa. Uh, I learned about Sergio Leone, you know, good, the bad and the ugly. So I would like, just by kind of doing this branching, it's like what we would call now, like get, going down the Wikipedia rabbit hole. Um, I would just keep learning about things. And the more I consumed, the more intriguing it was. And the more that I realized that it was like everywhere and just unseen. You know, even if, it, if you're talking marketing or if you're talking about, you know, prose writing, it doesn't always have to follow that model, but like storytelling's everywhere. And then obviously you, you go back in history enough and you realize that like before there was a written language, there was just oral history and people telling stories and keeping legends alive. And um, I don't know, it just, it just, it felt as though, still does to a large extent, it feels like there's a, to get somewhat hippy dippy, like, I feel like 
I plugged into something like there's like energy going across, you know, a plane horizontally, like somehow, like I just ended up like crossing through that beam and like just fucking juice up on either side. Like it's, <laughs> I don't know. It just gets me going. Okay. okay. Always have. So when you were going through all of this, I mean, did that, <clears throat> how did that drive you into, I guess the, the storytelling and the writing of, or the, the drawing of comics and getting into that. I mean, was there something that, that happened organically through that? Or were you like, no, I need to go start writing out what I'm learning and thinking, I guess, how did that study transform itself? I think a lot of it is rooted in the fact that um, when I was real little, I had to go to a deaf school because I was so sick that when I was supposed to be developing language, my ears were essentially plugged. I wasn't deaf in the sense that like, it wasn't a permanent state, but I couldn't hear. I thought I could talk. My mom told me, yeah, you sound like a deaf kid. Like I'd talk, try to talk to everybody at like two, three years old. I'd be like, blah, 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 blah. and so <laughs> I had to go and sit in front of a mirror at like a speech therapy place and go A, E, I, like, you know, had to, had to have a woman like telling me where to place my tongue, you know, against my teeth and shit like that. It's tedious and frustrating, but like, I'm three years old. Like, so they got me to do it and they got me to sit down. And so it just became sort of the way that I learned um, for better and worse. Like it's, I'm terrible about learning physical skills because of this, where I'm like, like you got to show me step-by-step step how to like throw a punch or like how to kick a motherfucker in the chest. Like, like one, two, three, four, like body mechanics list. But it, it, so I think part of it was, you know, being sort of tuned up to, to learn this way. And then I found the thing that interested me. And so with comics, you know, and I would say comics were the crystallization of those, that intuition that I'd had for the, over the previous years as a kid of being like storytelling. Cause it's like, you can't make star Wars when you're, when you're nine, what you can do is draw star Wars. I mean, to varying degrees of success, but like, if you had the time, and the patience, which I did, then you could sit down and create your own world and then you could hand it to somebody. And that's what was really, that's what got me more than anything. You know, I have a, I have a very rich internal life, you know, in my mind and I always have. And I, I, it used to frustrate me that I could not, uh, not express it like, but like show somebody it. Um, and and that became sort of the driving force for a lot of this. Like, I want to show people what is in here as best as I can. Um, not everything, but like a curation of, of the, the, the types of things that I'm thinking about. I used to just write all the time. And I got into creative writing and like accelerated English in junior high. And I was one of those kids when they were like, this is how you write an outline. This is how you do a rough draft. It's like, oh, okay, this is how you write. So then from that point on, I just did what they told me to do. Sure. Like, um, and so... You know, and even now I still have like a, a process for drawing that's very similar where it's like, yeah, you just start riffing. Like, I don't believe in waiting for the muse. You just sit down and you start hanging drywall, basically. And so for some reason, all this stuff just like coalesced at a certain point. Like I was decent at writing. I was trying to get better at drawing. Then I got into um, uh, acting because I was terrified of being in front of people. So I was like, fuck it, should probably just go be in front of people then. Um, and then ended up going through the Idaho theater for youth, which I don't know what it's called now. It's owned by the Shakespeare festival, ended up apprenticing the Shakespeare festival. I was in a bunch of commercials and stuff. I almost flunked out of high school because I was in a repertory theater company. So like, I, I was just always running down 
as much information as I could about like, how do you communicate? How do you tell uh, stories to people? And what are the different mediums by which you can do that? And so by the time that I was like 21, I had been a theater actor, an on-camera actor. I'd been writing, I'd been drawing, I'd been interested in comics. I'd been trying to make short films that we'd storyboard at Timberline. It wasn't like a real formal education, but I've been doing it. I've been pursuing it since I was like fucking seven, um, unknowingly. Um, and so I'm not the best at those things, but I understand how they work. And I just kept going basically. Okay. So you said, you said that you were have you were trying to get the, the curation of thoughts out to people in a way that they could see, understand, feel whatever the case may be. Right. And engage. engage. Yeah. And you were chasing down ways to do that. How did you find, I guess, the different mediums and get plugged into the different mediums to learn how to do that? Be willing to have someone say no. Uh, I mean, my mom would tell me that from a really early age. Uh, my mom's like a mental Sarah Connor. Like she was always like preparing me to like go out into the world. Um, and um, so we would have conversations when I was like nine or 10 about like, you know, famous actors. And she'd be like, oh, did you know that, you know, John Travolta, like, you know, went through like a hundred failed auditions before he got his first TV show or something like that. I mean, we would just have these anecdotal conversations where I'm like, oh, okay. So if you need to succeed, you just go out and fail constantly. And then if you keep going, you're probably like, you're playing the odds game, you know, at a certain point. Um, now, if you look like Quasimodo and you're trying to like uh, audition for Han Solo every time, well, that's probably not going to work, but, sure. um, but you find your niche, you, you, you adapt. Um, and so like, you know, for me, it was just, we were just always talking and it was always like the world's not going to give you what you want. You've got to go and find it, but you should probably do as much groundwork beforehand as possible. Educate yourself as much as you can about the thing that you're trying to go after. Uh, you know, like if you're going to a job interview, go early, watch, see who's, see who's there, see what's going on. Like I got hired at Starbucks because I showed up 20 minutes early and started cleaning tables um you know like um i mean i got hired for other reasons too but like um it just started the conversation and the biggest thing that i learned honestly especially from the acting was everybody's fucking terrified no one knows how to talk to anybody and everybody is always hoping somebody else is going to break the ice so i made this very deliberate choice in my late teens where i'm like well because i used to be the kid that would go to the dance. I remember like seventh grade Halloween dance. I dressed up like Pierce Brosnan, Goldeneye, James Bond. And I went <laughs> fucking full tilt. Like I got a tuxedo from the thrift store, dyed my hair black, had like, you could still do this at the time, but I had like a little like, like dark gun and a shoulder holster. Like I was <laughs> fucking red. And I just stood on the edge of the, the gym the whole, the whole night until like, they're like, okay, last slow dance. And I finally asked the girl that I had like a major crush on since elementary school, to, to dance with me and I was and I was like that was the wind of the night I'm like okay I whew, I went out I asked I was one to deal with the rejection and I got you know I at least had the dance with her I ended up working with her at Moxie later um but um uh I just kept trying to do that like I, I basically so like same year I was like I'm gonna go out for student council why I don't know I don't know anyone and I completely froze in front of the entire school when I went to, to speak it was like a very Yoda 
like sort of like Chris Hunt I am yes me for vote who should um and I was like I suck at this and like I've always had this this mentality and I think it's because of my mom where it's like okay if I suck at this I gotta get better so how do I get better at it and and the reason why I went and started doing the acting stuff was because of that failed speech uh I was like I was like I cannot I, I cannot abide the idea that I I will let this control me um the fear aspect um and I was always looking at my mom for that. My mom was constantly trying to push herself, you know, whether to get a better job, make more money or uh, just just for the sheer shits and giggles of it. Um, like there was the, there was never this moment where I ever felt as though like living meant you stay stagnant. Um, and and so I just could not abide the idea of accepting defeat, um, especially when all all most things that fuck with people are just them just being nervous about shit that has zero consequences in reality yeah so how how did you get to the point of owning that right so being able to own i guess fear the possibility of rejection right i feel like that's you, you made a really good point because that's how a lot of people i think get hung up on things is not fucking doing it because they're afraid <laughs> how did yeah. you I mean, you grew up obviously kind of facing those things and your mom helping you, but did you learn anything throughout all of that that you're like, Hey, this is something that I lean on consistently to, to kind of own these things. Uh, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, intuitively I was, I would, I, well, empirically, I would actually say is I would do something, get past my fear and be like, Oh shit. Like, you know, like within like two years of taking that first acting class, I, my first on-camera job was doing a commercial where I did, got to drive a Dodge Viper like uh, out past like a stage stop, like um, off 84. So like empirically, I'm going like, fuck, if I, hadn't, if I hadn't sucked at the speech and then decided to go take the acting classes, I would not be behind the wheel of a fucking supercar right now. <laughs> um, and the reason I got that job was because on your acting resumes, you get to put like a little special skill stuff and because I'd done some research, even as a kid, and I knew that they were going to use a Dodge Viper with a manual transmission in this uh, in this commercial, I specifically put on there, I was like, and can drive a manual. And I got the job because I was the only kid that they auditioned that could drive a manual. And so very, very quickly and empirically, I was seeing like, okay, like, man, it, <laughs> like, <laughs> just because I just didn't accept fear or I didn't accept that, like, okay, I didn't make a student council, boo-hoo me. I'm like, no, fuck this. I'm going to go out and skull fuck this shit. Um, I'm driving a Dodge Viper. So years go by and I keep, it becomes a game almost at a certain point for me where I'm like, well, what can I do now? And then um, when I was talking to Paul, this is years later, like, so around like 1920, um, uh, two things happened. One, um, I got super, super sick. It was the night that um, we uh, BSU won the Fiesta Bowl, yep. uh, which is also funny. Anecdotally, Ian Johnson was my old roommate, um, <laughs> which is a whole different story. Um, but um, um, <laughs> so I get super sick. And um, one of the guys that ended up dying in 2010, who was just like, troubadour roused about hopping trains guy like you know he probably would be an antifa now but um he he was he was i'd gone to school with him since elementary school um and he but he was this classy homeless dude basically like he, i mean I, he, I don't know he's a busker he played you know guitar and shit be in san francisco Portland, whatever 
he shows up out of the blue at my house and he hands me this beat the shit copy of Atlas Shrugged. And he's like, I fucking hate this book, but it's beautifully written. And I think you'll like it. Okay. So I read Atlas Shrugged and I'm like, and I've read Atlas Shrugged in like seven days. Um, and I'm like, wow, I'm not crazy. Like I, that was, that was the first time that I, I, I didn't like read that book and go, Oh man, my world's totally changed. I'm like, wow, this is exactly my world. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out this woman was, you know, thinking about these things 50 years ago. So for the first time in my life, I feel rationally justified for being the kind of sort of motherfucker that I, I felt like I was inside of like, like good's not a good enough kind of person. Sure. And so then I'm also talking to Paul around this time for the first time. Uh, and uh, I'm doing research on different things. And I come across this book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And it's, it's like the OG self-help book that is kind of full of shit, honestly. That was like the premise was this guy worked in a newspaper and got this letter of introduction and got to talk to every major mover and shaker in the early 20th century and then collated the data and said, this is what the keys to success are. There are varying degrees of verifiable data about this, but more or less, this is a fictional creation. But doesn't mean that the book itself and what it's telling you is worthless. And one of the things that is in this book is basically like, hey, if you've got a functioning mind, four limbs, and you are not doing the thing that you want to do, that is your fault. That is no one else's fault. And in between like reading Atlas and going like, cool, I'm, I'm not crazy. And then reading Napoleon Hill, um, I was like, holy shit. Like, yeah, because I, I, I didn't go to art school. And even though I basically walked away from comics before I even started it, because I got a partial scholarship it was still going to be a bunch of money and i was looking at it and going like well i'm just going to be in debt and be a graphic designer and it's not what i want to do so i'll go to business i'll go to school for business at bsu i walked into english 102 and they're like this is how you write an essay i'm like i'm out like it, like I, i'm not paying for this shit like so i went to starbucks and i was like download the kung fu teach me how to run a business and so in three years from walking in this barista and then when I left, I was a store manager. Um, I opened up my own store up over off of Overland by the Walmart. Um, and uh, so this leads into the Paul thing. I'm talking to Paul and finally getting to talk to this guy who's been my hero since a kid. I was a kid and I'm rereading comics and I'm asking him stuff like, hey, is this, are you talking about the platonic ideal here? And he'd be like, yeah, I am. You're the first person to know about this. Then we keep talking and it turns out he's read Napoleon Hill he's read Atlas Shrugged. And now I'm having this weird moment where I'm like, fuck me. Like, so did I, did I gravitate towards this stuff because it was sort of subliminally there and peppered in to these comics that I was really into, or did I just find this like-minded individual? And basically I never answered that question, but like it, it, that was the defining moment for me where I was like, man, if I trust my gut and I keep moving forward, I'm going to find these other people. Like they're, I, I don't know who they are yet. I didn't know Evan Hafer existed and was going to exist in the capacity that he did. But I started like really trusting, for lack of a better way of saying it, trusting the force or just trusting fate or however you want to say it, of being like, if I, if I actually do the thing that I know is true to, to me and no bullshit about it, that's the Napoleon Hill part of it. Like, like really look in the mirror and know what my fears are and then and just say, fuck it, I'll do it, any, I'll do it anyways. If I keep moving like that, I, I'm pretty sure 
that it's going to continue to be hard and lonely and weird for a while, but I think I'm going to find where I fit in eventually. I have to trust this fact. And it took into my fucking thirties to really, truly get that. So when you, it's interesting. So when you start to sit down and kind of like say, okay, here's my thoughts, my fears, kind of where I'm gravitating towards, how did you, and I'm kind of asking for myself too, honestly. Right. But like, how did you do that? Did you sit down and like, look at yourself in the mirror and say, here's what I love to do. Here's what I'm scared of. Here's what I'm gravitating towards. Here's how I can like, I guess, be comfortable with the weirdness. I, I always had a very negative self view of myself, like, and I don't know why, um, you know, um, so, and then I also, I, I, I would write, but I also kept a journal man so like i have a snoopy journal in storage somewhere i mean i'm talking like full-on little kid snoopy journal has a little clicky lock on it in the first page i wrote i feel like i'm cast adrift in a in an ocean of fog i was eight years old um so i i think i'm 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 also kind of a weirdo in this capacity and that like i was around all those adults i was modeling my language and my behavior after the adults that i was around and so I would just evaluate myself as a child against the adults and be like, well, grandpa can do X, Y, and Z. Why can't I do that? And sometimes it'd be like, well, I'm physically, I can't, I'm fucking four feet tall and I weigh 120 pounds. Other times there'd be like, well, I could do that. I could go and stuff envelopes, you know, or I could, I wanted to work, you know, really for, for whatever reason. And so I, I kind of started there, I think, where I'd be like, okay, what can I do? What can I do? And then the, that, like I said, after that speech in 12th grade, or I'm sorry, at 12 years old in seventh grade, I started associating my fears with success. And so I would always be writing in my journal. I had like dozens of journals from, from high school and they weren't really like, Sally didn't look at me today. It was, it was like, okay, what, what is the social contract of society that we live in? Like, what is, what is holding this shit together? Cause you know, I, I would be spending hours trying to understand like, why isn't this anarchy? Like, why, why are we all doing what we're supposed to do? Because we've all agreed on a piece of paper or several pieces of paper that this is, this is what we are. This is who we are as a, as a society or as a culture. And that shit would trip me out. And so I'd just be sitting there writing and thinking about this stuff for hours on end, listening to music writing little stories in between. And because of that whole engagement thing, I, I perhaps naively was doing the whole write what you know kind of thing. And all I knew at that time was I don't know anything. So I was trying to learn about the world sort of secondhand as much as possible. So if I went and tried to read Hemingway at age 10 or 11, I didn't I didn't understand all the subtext, but I understood that something was important in like farewell to arms, you know, something about that was human enough people culturally and globally have been like, this is, this is a good writer. This is a good story. Well, there must be something here that I need to unpack and, and, and lean into. And so I kind of have always looked at myself as one of those projects where I'm like, I, as an example, one of my friends, Jenny Rice, who uh, was one of the people that was part of that friend group, uh, when the people started dying, I ended up helping drive her to Portland in 2013 to help her move. And I remember I was in the passenger side seat and she was like, Chris, do you know what makes you happy? And that scared the shit out of me because I could not answer the question. 
And I'm not even saying that for hyperbole. I actually did not know how to answer the question. And so for years after that, that was my focus. It's like, okay, what, what makes me happy? Like, is it, is it shooting guns? Is it drawing? At that point, like, you know, drawing was still pretty much a chore and I hadn't really done what I wanted to do yet. So I couldn't really call it that making me happy, oddly enough. So I started like having to make lists. I did make lists of things to make, to make me, I would, I'd find something like, oh, that makes me happy. I'd write it down. But the flaws and, and the fears that we're talking about, honestly, I don't think it's that hard. It's like when people were like, oh man, I, I wish I knew what I wanted to do with my life. You know, I wish I'd known I wanted to do comics since I was 10. It's like, you probably do. You're probably just too embarrassed to say it. Or like somebody told you that you couldn't do it. Um, if you really, that's, I don't know how to tell someone how to be honest with themselves, but like my mom told me to trust my gut instinct since I was a little kid. So I started out hone that shit since day one. And that's kind of how I look at my internal shit too. It's just like, I knew when I was a store manager, I was like, I'm going to regret not trying to make comics. I know that this is going to be a big regret for me. Uh, whatever my life ends up being, the fact that I just didn't fucking go for it is, is going to bother me immensely. And I, I think that that's, you got to learn how to not bullshit yourself. That's, uh, that's, it's not, it's not the magic pill, unfortunately, but like everybody bullshits themselves. I bullshit myself still, but like, I'm come. I, I, I say that knowing that I'm constantly trying to find the crack in the edifice for myself. Yeah. So those are like really big philosophical questions and things that you're thinking about, right? Like you're talking about, um, like, why is this not anarchy? Right. And that makes, yeah. that totally took me back to like my degrees in economics and I took oh, one, nice. one uh, radical economics class. And I remember just wondering very similar things like this whole, like I, I, I had one paper that I was supposed to write or it was a, I, I had a, an exam. I think it was like my final exam on uh, anarchy. And I almost walked into my class and lit my exam on fire. Cause Fuck like, yeah, exactly <laughs> what, like, that's exactly what I wanted to do. I didn't, I didn't have the balls to do it, but like, I was like, I bet you my professor would have thought it was fucking funny, but yeah. like, I guess it's, it's the questions you're asking yourself, especially so young, right. Are, are extremely hard and like probably super overwhelming. How did you come to terms with them? And I guess kind of make peace with maybe not understanding, like, you know, what makes me happy? What do I love? You know, like I, I know like two or three years ago, I sat down and I have pages. Like I, I wrote for a while too. Like what is love? And like not being able to define it like and you kind of just have to not give up but kind of look at it and say i don't know and that's okay i'm agnostic in that in that capacity i don't know there's a lot of stuff that you know true the true definition of not of agnosticism is taking like empirical logic to, to its end point and not being able to continue forward and just being able to say like i can't unequivocally and empirically tell you X, Y, and Z. Um, but like, there's something to this. And so like, I would say that like, I just kept going and, and like, I still don't really know what love is, you know, necessarily. I think that, I think the Hallmark card shit that I really believed in and wanted to believe in is bullshit. But I think that like love is, you know, mutual, mutual respect, you know, uh, to, to the greatest degree. Um, my parents always told me that you never have partnerships in business unless the person you're partnering with brings value. Like you basically, you collectively create value for one another 
um, because otherwise you're you're basically just uh, um, you're helping the other person out. You're not helping yourself. So I would always view relationships that way, where it's like uh, this should be this should be something that two people engaging in creates a better outcome than than what could be achieved separate. So I just kept refining these things, and I think with regards to the, the things I was thinking about and struggling with in high school, I realized I needed to go live. So like I needed to go and, you know, I kind of stepped out of my social shell throughout high school. Like I was saying, like figured out just, you know, basically be the person that I wish other people would be for me. Um, and then I was like, well, in addition to the comic book thing, it's like, I want to have one of those lives, you know, that, uh, like the, the old lady in Titanic, you know, when she like, you're going like you're doing the camera swipe of the, all the photos of her, like in the biplane and have these adventures. It's like, fuck man, like I want that shit. Like I want, I want to like drink the marrow, you know, suck the marrow out of, out of life kind of thing. And, um, and again, I always kind of, especially when everybody else started dying, I was like, oh man, I could get hit by a bus at any given moment. So like, I want to like fight, fuck, drink, you know, like I want to do all that. Like, um, and so I did, um, I would, I kind of, I wouldn't say I put on a, a face, but I, I allowed myself to sort of wade out into society and culture, mostly in Boise in the, you know, early 2000, well, 2006 on, uh, and, um, learn to navigate all that stuff in downtown Boise, basically, um, <laughs> you know, like, and, and just realize that like, you can sit and think about shit or you can go and try to do things. You can be scared and weirded out of that speech that you do when you're 12 or you can go take some acting classes and it's like i just i just realized that like i was not going to learn any of those things about myself or about the world until i, I kind of started trying to understand the world um and you can you can research you can uh absorb information through books or wikipedia or whatever now but it's like it's not the same as going out there and doing it um and so uh, I think that the questions still remain that, that we're talking about, but um, like, I, I truly feel like I'm one of those, like, like, this is the way people are supposed to age. You know, you keep learning. You, you like, I, I, have, I feel like a salty dog sometimes because a lot of the people that I work with are younger than me here, which was kind of funny because I was always the youngest person in most work environments. And I'm like, you know, like people will be like, why aren't you going out and partying or trying to meet chicks or whatever? And it's like, dude, like, <laughs> like <laughs> I've been there and done that shit. Like, I don't need someone slashing my fucking tires. I don't need, you know, I, I like the, the novelty of newness has worn off. It's just like, I just want to find a wife, you know, like I just want to find someone to like be my road dog. Um, and, um, and I think that I just got older. Like I'm not much really different internally as far as what we're talking about. I really feel like that through line for myself extends back as far as I can remember in the like second, you know, third year of living, you know, where I get glimpses of stuff. But um, uh, I think that, you know, my identity, you could argue is fluid, um, but I think it's only fluid in so far as that, like, you know, you're, you're getting input data constantly and you're evaluating it, you know, and I've never been that person where it's like, if I have a Ford F-350 and I'm rolling coal, then I know who my people are. It's like, if I want to get a Ford F-350 and roll coal, cool, but I'm still just Chris doing that. Like, right. I'm, I don't, I don't need to be in a fucking club. I've never been that kind of person. I've always been like keen on trying to be the best version, the truest version of me possible. Um, 
And again, I think, I think a large part of this is just that like, I was so deliberate for some reason at an early age about sort of considering the kind of life that I wanted to have as I got older. Yeah. So it was still a struggle throughout all of this that we're talking about, but I was like, for some fucking reason, I really was just aware of it from an early age. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. <clears throat> being aware of like, it, it's funny because like being so being able to be forward looking like that is a challenge, right? Especially mm-hmm. when there's the novelty of newness when you're young, right? I think yeah. I think can ruin a lot of what happens in the future if you're not mindful of what the future is going to look like. So it's it's interesting. What so, did you do with your economics degree? What did I do with it? Yeah. Um, nothing specifically. So I, uh, after I graduated from school, I went and worked in supply chain for, um, a semiconductor. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I've been working, uh, so I did, I did supply chain for three years. I was a, a supply chain planner. So I managed like high volume and niche product families and stuff kind of doing the supply demand match and, uh, tariff management. Cool. Yeah. And then I did project management for a little over a year. And then I just moved back into, or I did project management for engineering. And then I just moved back into supply chain to do more data analytics because I like numbers. So (laughs) yeah, I regret not taking more uh, math and statistics classes. (laughs) I respect math. I just, I'm not wired well for it. It's a chore. See, it's funny because like I respect art and I can't draw or design to save my life. I still think that's a learned skill. I mean, it, it's like laying stone or hanging drywall. Like if you just had the time or the inclination to sit down and just chop wood and carry water, I think anybody can do it. Um, it's just maybe it's just the inclination part. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Math, though, I feel like you got to like you really have to have the brain for it. Yeah, I mean, like a lot of a lot of the stuff that I do, you know, is is pretty Excel based. Like I love Excel and like I've been learning how to do Tableau a little bit more. Um, You know, Tableau's the uh, it's like the God, I just totally forgot. It's like the visualization software that you use for um, representing data. And so stuff like that's fun. Yeah. So it's like it's like. Um, you can tap into databases and whatnot and then spin up different charts and views and graphs and all sorts of like interactive stuff for um, for data. So I've been learning. Actually, I, have a, I need to go study because I have a, a certification exam <laughs> this week. Oh, funny. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so like, I look, I like stuff like that because it's easy for me to like look down, look at something and say, okay, great. Here's the answer I need to go or I guess here's the question I need to go produce an answer for. Here's the data set for it. Here's what it's supposed to tell me, you know, on how to go do something or where I need to go make a change. And like that for me was very like, I like stuff like that because I know it's very crisp. Whereas like, you know, over the past couple of years, like I was not a very like emotional or like, like existential type person, you know? Yeah. And so like, for me, the number side of it was super easy in terms of like, like I know I could, I could go tell you how I was performing based off of what it was that I was doing. And so like, it was always fun. Like when I was in college, I took the, my, it's funny cause my degree was a lot more um, qualitative than quantitative. You know, I took a lot of 
like radical economics, history of, or history and theory of economics and uh, like environmental econ, just kind of like the, the theory based side of it. Cause I like to know how people thought, but then when <laughs> it came to actually like performing a job, it was like, I liked the numbers, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's super interesting. Um, like I used to order books uh, and it's been a while, but I used to order like econ books just to read them for fun. You know, yeah. like I'd read like Viking economics. That was a fun one. And like, um, like Scandinavian economics, stuff like that. That was always fun just to think about how people thought and why they made the decisions that they did. Like, that's why I studied econ is like, I looked at it like the, the psychology of business because like you've got marketing, which is like the psychology of like selling versus like econ. I thought of it as like the psychology of why people made business style decisions and then how to influence it from there. Well, so I like, so I, I always had an interest in economics uh, very from a theoretical standpoint, obviously, because numbers aren't great for me. Um, and also was really into sleight of hand magic. Um, okay. And uh, which, so between the magic acting, you know, liking economics and the theory behind it, like in storytelling, this is where you start to see like how things swirl together in my head. Cause most of the time, someone's like, oh, you're an artist? Well, you should be X, Y, and Z kind of person. Uh, like we, you're talking about project management. We just went through like a scrum course for art department like two weeks ago where like we scrum in the art department. We were doing it already and didn't realize it because yep. that was the way that I had it set up. Um, and so like when, when I, it's, I mean, basically about by the time I was in my early 20s, everything you just said, economics, sleight of hand magic, psychology of, you know, markets, storytelling that was how I was entering in to my 20s like that so that's how I entered into comics was like with that kind of shit in my head like so I would read books about nonverbal communication after I'd already done theater and on-camera acting and being like oh I could totally fuck people up on comics you know like <laughs> because it's like so like basically instead of just being like okay we gotta draw the guy looking down at the guy in the room because basically there's like 22 different like compositional uh presentations you could say like in in comic book panels and i was like fuck all that shit like because people would just go oh we need to we need to just change it just to make sure it's not boring i was like not nah, everything's got to be curated to make sure that like i'm communicating shit non-verbally to people as they're moving through this so that they could read it without you know the words of it you know worst case scenario and sleight of hand magic is one of those things that is both like it's a lot of fun but it's also terrifying and disappointing when yeah. you realize how that shit works and how it's worked for thousands of well, it's years. Well, because it's so stupid simple, right? It's just it's a distraction. It's, it's, but it's, it's like, it's, it's the exploitation of people's, the framework for their thinking. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, it, that's all it is. It's, it, it's, and that's where some, like three people, three different types of people that you get with when you do magic. People who just like go, oh my God, I love it. Then there's the people who want to know how to solve the riddle. Then there's people who are like, fuck you. Like you tricked me. <laughs> um, and, and, and so like, there's and even that was kind of interesting to me. I always like accruing data, you know, like about life and about interactions with people. And so, you know, with the, the, the sleight of hand stuff, it's like, all right. Like if I just look a certain way, if I move my eyes a certain way, people will like follow my eyes. Like it's not even a sort of like the look at the left hand while the right hand is doing something. It's like, me leaning into somebody 
is 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 like enough to like disrupt someone's yeah. flow of thinking or or direct that flow of thinking. Um, so then you start looking at that from a macro scale, and you and it's terrifying because when you start realizing that like we are this susceptible to this kind of like this level of influence, um, and so you know clearly I'm exploiting it <laughs> comics to some extent, <laughs> but like I'm trying to do it from like great power, great responsibility standpoint. But like it was, it definitely influenced my, my view of the world. Uh, you know, like I remember when the Patriot Act was being signed not long after 9-11, I was that kid who was 16 going like, this ain't going to end well. You know, like, you know, it's a, it's the size of a phone book and somehow it emerged like a week after this shit went down. Like I'm just, I'm a natural skeptical and a natural skeptic in that, in that respect. So again, I think maybe to go back to your question about like, why, why was, am I able to tear myself apart or be honest with myself? It's like, I'm skeptical of even myself, you know, like why I do things looking at it through the lens of a magician where it's like, okay, like I need to make sure that um, uh, I need to make sure that I'm paying attention to the blind spots. I need to make sure that I can't be manipulated in certain places. And, and so I don't think it was ever like these deliberate acts or decisions of like, you need to walk better or some stupid shit. It was just like, it started becoming ingrained in me that like the world wants to take everything unique and individualistic about you and homogenize it. Yeah. Uh, and I remember in junior high taking, like, I, I'm, well, before I even took it, I remember them being like, okay, we're going to take this test that it's going to tell you, like, give you an idea of like what sort of career you should have. Immediately, I'm like, this is bullshit. Like, I'm talking to my mom about it. I'm like, how the fuck are they going to know? And I probably even said it like that to my mom. Like, how the fuck are they going to know at 12 years old what I'm supposed to do? Like, right. I don't know anything about my life yet. She's like, well, just take, take the test and see what happens. The three careers I was told would be most well suited for me were lawyer, priest, and nun. And I really mean none, N-U-N. And so, and I'm, I'm, and I'm right there. I'm like, yep, it's bullshit. It's total bullshit. Like they're just, they need priests right now or they need garbage men, you know, like, and so I just, I, I, my stepdad showed up around this time too. And he just really tuned me up when it came to that kind of stuff. Like, um, you know, we have a very like typical old school Idaho, like trust no one kind of mentality. (laughs) Um, And, and so I was just, I was skeptical of everything. It's just like, I mean, Evans, I came down from Northern Idaho on a handshake with Evan. I had no guarantee, no paper. He is the only person I would do that for and, and have done it for because he's from Idaho for one. Uh, and so I know what he's about. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's, there's just this, this thing that I had. And that's why, why I said when I read Atlas Shrugged, it was like, oh, okay. So there's other people that have existed in, in the history of humans not that long ago that are seeing what I'm seeing or feeling what I'm feeling that like, they don't, if you, if you're trying to run a group of people, you don't want a bunch of people thinking for themselves. Yeah. It's never been that way. Uh, you don't want, you don't want true anarchy. You don't want true freedom is anarchy. Like you get to do what you want. Like uh, we don't even have true democracy. We have a Republic, you know? So like, this is the lens that I was seeing the world through like fucking 17. Uh, <laughs> and, and so like, uh, just, it just kept going from there. And, and I, I don't know, again, I can't tell you if this is like 
I became this person or if there's something inherent to my genetics that like, you know, I hate that whole, like, I'm, I'm a wolf, not a sheep kind of thing. Like I, I'm just clearly there are people who had better childhoods than me <laughs> t-ball and like, you know, I don't know, fucking play Pokemon cards while I'm like over in my Snoopy journal, like talking about having an existential crisis, something clearly was off with me. Um, but it's, it served me well in the sense that I, I didn't look at it as a detriment. I just leaned into it. Yeah. And I think that making peace of myself and making peace of my brain in the past few years has been a huge help for me. Cause I always, I, 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 I was pretty angry that I was the way that I was for a long time. Cause I'm like, I'm like, I, not that I'm like, I want to be an idiot. It's just that like, I, it was so hard to just be happy. Um, and to just to, to not go out into the world and be like, well, this is a fucking racket, um, you know, or, you know, nice guys finish last or, you know, all, all the all the stuff that you're kind of experiencing when you're 21 in modern society um, and you're seeing kind of the holes in the framework um, in the narrative, maybe is a better way of putting it. Um, <laughs> I'm going to write my own story. I'm just I, I have zero interest in engaging with what you're supposed to do because what you're supposed to do is not really tailored to you uh and i learned that real quick as a kid okay okay so then you made it through comics yeah black rifle do you mind talking about how you how you made it through the comic life into black rifle so that way if people are curious or or maybe Evan, like, Evan rescued me i'm like a he rescued cat. you <laughs> um he actually said that in front of like some people that down in the art department a couple months ago he's like this is chris he's our guy I rescued him from comics um <laughs> like um you know growing up the boise i mean i'm 36 so my boise that i grew up in was from 94 to 2013 and like you could still drive over the hill and go to Roby Creek the back way at night. You could oh, yeah. like go shoot out at, you know, Black's Creek, you know, uh, you could go up to fucking, you know, uh, like, um, Oh Christ. What's, what's the spot, um, right outside of horseshoe bend, uh, with all the white water is, um, banks, you go to banks oh, you know, okay. and there would be like, you know, fucking traffic jam, you know, up to McCall and stuff like Fuck, there was a rope swing. Um, I don't know if anybody else listening to this will remember it, but if you, instead of going straight out off of banks, you'd make a right. Um, and probably like a quarter of the mile down the road, there was this terrifying rope swing on the other side of the rope, on the other side of the river. You had to like swim across, shimmy up a cliff, and then like jump out. And this thing was tied off like 35 feet in the air. And it fucking killed a kid. I think that's why they took it down. I almost drowned like when I did it one time. But like that was the version of Idaho that I grew up in. As yeah. a sheltered, city kid i was doing stuff like that and drag racing and camping like you know i don't know how it is now but i feel feel like when we grew up at that time like living in the city of boise it was still like you were outside doing shit yep Uh, and and so like i kind of took that into comics you know and especially once i got to new york and like i walked i i was in the wenatchee national forest doing trail maintenance a week before I flew to New York. Like I, so I was like going up and down mountains with a 70 pound pack and a cross cut saw as a birthday present for my friends who owned a, a federal contracting company. And they're like, you need to do this before you go. And I also was in a dark place and they knew that I needed to like go climb a mountain basically. Right. Um, and so uh, when did that had my body and soul broken, um, which was the start of me being able to heal actually. 
And so I, when I came to New York, I was like fresh off the trail, um, make here to make comics in fucking New York city. So like straight up, straight out of the gate, people were like, what the fuck is this? Right. Uh, when they, when they'd meet me and, and I'd tell them about my childhood, I'd tell them about growing up in Idaho and, you know, I wasn't embarrassed or scared to tell people that I, you know, owned guns, grew up with guns or, you know, was drag racing a 71 Chevy pickup truck or, you know, it was, I guess, kind of probably like a, you know, a little novelty to them, to a lot of these people. But like, I started realizing that, um, like, I, I, was, I was lucky. I was really lucky. I mean, I used to, we used to go down on the cruise and shit, you know, like uh, back in the early 2000s, um, I'd like put Celine Dion uh, blasting on my stereo and like <laughs> try like get people to try to race me and then just not race them. Like, um, but um, so like basically I never fit in in comics is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Like I, I have friends. I was accepted. I was good enough that I was getting work and meeting people and, and certainly through Paul, like, cause he's so far and away better and more story than I am. I was able to get into these rooms with people I would never have been able to talk to you otherwise, but I just never, it, it just never was right to me. And, and comics are a business that really don't function like a business. It's a flawed business model. And if you know how to exploit that model, then you can make money. Sure. Um, and the, the, the people that are exploited ironically are the talent. Um, and so you need to be a quiet, stupid, creative to and you know take what you can get what what they'll give you basically which based on whatever we've just been talking about <laughs> i think you and probably anybody listening to this probably could infer that that doesn't go over very well with me right so, so i ended up i ended up walking away from comics eventually in like 2018 after my book came out the one i really cared about carver which is the one that was written after everybody died and um uh, i was just like this i'm not i'm not happy like I'm, this should be the thing that makes me happy. I achieved my goal. Like Carver was like IGN graphic novel of the year in 2016. Like, like I did it, you know, like I did the impossible thing. Um, and I'm, I felt like, I felt like Beowulf, you know, like returning from after killing Grindel. And it's just like, okay, what do we do now? Yeah, like, um, stuck. so I had to find like Jenny Rice told me, uh, what was going to make me happy. And, uh, I, I started finding myself again, you know, cause I, I was myopically obsessed with that career and building this thing out of nothing because it didn't exist. There was no framework, right? There is no book. Now there's no course you can really take. That's going to be like, here's how to become a comic book creator. So I just got caught up in just trying to make something out of nothing. Um, like, you know, alchemy, like taking shit and making it gold somehow. And so around 2018, I was like, I'm out, I'm done. Um, and I started working at a Filson store in Ohio. Um, cause I'd, I'd helped to open one in New York when I was there part-time. And I was like, you know what, this is my happy place. Like, I'm going to go help open this Filson store. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go full tilt. That lasted fucking like eight months before they figured out what I used to do. And then I was drawing stuff for Filson. Um, and then I eventually quit the store and was just consulting for Filson for a year. And that's, Evan and I have talked about it. He's not a hundred percent sure where he found me, but we think it's the Filson stuff that yeah. I was doing. And uh, cause he's an old school Filson guy as well. And his dad was a logger growing up. Um, and he just hit me up on a fucking DM one day, 
like I was just I was at a bar in Westerville, Ohio in the evening and like and I'm like it's like basically <laughs> I'm like I'm like uh Evan Hafer just DM'd me <laughs> the people I'm with are like who's Evan Hafer I'm like I, I'll be right back and I'm like, I had to like get up and walk away and be like oh my god yeah and it was nothing significant at all it's like hey man stuff's kind of cool do you ever want to work for black rifle and you know like i told you earlier like like i signed up for the coffee club thinking to myself like i'm gonna work for this company someday right uh, and so i this is this is the agnosticism you know that i referenced earlier where it's like i don't believe in a flying spaghetti monster i don't believe in astrology or any of this shit but i also don't know what it is I don't know if it's like somehow I just made all the right decisions subconsciously yeah. to attract the attention of a certain type of person. I don't know if there is a flying sp- spaghetti monster. It's just sort of like, well, yeah, let's make this happen for him, you know? Um, and so I just responded. I was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, here's my email, but honestly, here's my phone number. Like if, if you just, if you want to work that way too, he's like, that's the way I work too. And so we would touch base and uh, there was, like a few months later i was drunk again and uh evan texted me and he's like driving through boise just thinking about you and i was just like my response is like fuck boise <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> it ain't old gray mary what she used to be like I, I i still love boise and it's it's different but it's okay and i'm sure my version or our version of boise somebody was sitting in a bar complaining about us and what it had become <laughs> so it wasn't really until the apocalypse kicked off that we were finally made something to work and um and i i the thing that he asked for i did in like four hours and he he was just surprised and he's like do you want to do another one i'm like fuck yeah i do um and so by the end of the first day i'd done like three things for them and i was like it's 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 on it's just fucking game on and then he put me in touch with Matt and then Logan. And I was kind of help. Basically I was getting, they were, they were feeling me out. Everybody was kind of getting a vibe for me. And um, I think about like three months into it, I was, I just point blank asked him, was like, would you ever consider like hiring an illustrator full time? And he's like, yep. Uh, <laughs> and we, I mean, they still, I mean, that was still pretty early to just be like, come down to Salt Lake. Um, and so I was riding the apocalypse out in Northern Idaho at my folks place. And um was just doing a bunch of stuff. I'm like, I'm like looking at like the coffee bags on the wall in front of me, like most of the stuff that we've done in the past year. And so we're just cranking and like, finally October was coming and um, I didn't really want to have to drive 13 hours from Northern Idaho in the middle of winter. And so I was like, I'm kind of ready to go. Like, you know, it was still COVID. So the office really wasn't open, but they had gotten it to the point where like a handful of people could be in here. He's like, yeah, can you be here Monday? And I'm like, yep. Um, and so I just drove down, like I said, I was on a handshake and I was like, worst case scenario, I just drive home, you know, like, I mean, again, it's the, like, what is the cost benefit here? Like, what is, what is the worst thing that can happen is I spend $500 on fuel and, uh, they put me up in a hotel for a week and I find out that it's not going to work and I get to hang out a black rifle for a week. I mean, that's not bad. Yeah. Um, like, um, and I was, I mean, there's other things happening in my life like i had an apartment in ohio and i had to figure that shit out eventually but i was like you know fuck it i'll just go but that was also the consequence of the way i lived though was that like i was you know it was new york for three years from 2013 then i was back to idaho for like you know seven months while i finished my book 
then it was like this hobo book tour that I did where I was just kind of couch surfing and was in New York, was in Ohio, was in Spain, um, back to Ohio. Um, and then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to end up in Ohio for a little bit, kick it with my family, get to know them again. And then it was back to Northern Idaho, then Salt Lake. That's all since 2013. Um, while also traveling just to travel in the middle of all that. And so I, around 2020 kind of, well, I'd say end of 2019, I was like, I need to start thinking about how to just be a human. Um, Cause I always struggle with that. Like I, based on all the stuff that we're talking about, like I never felt like I fit in Yeah. the closest thing that I ever got was reading Atlas Shrugged where it's like, okay, again, it's that also to go back. It's like, there's truth in storytelling. The implication was someone had thought about this, had taken the time to write the book. So perhaps there is some truth to this, you know, that like, this is another person who had a shared philosophy or outlook on life or experience also felt like an outsider wrote a book. So I can't say that hundred percent what this person's saying is true, but it's enough to, to take some time to consider it. Um, and I just, in my gut, knew that I needed to come down to black rifle. Like, um, like when the opportunity presented itself, cause I, I, I just didn't know, like I was getting better about things making me happy. Like I got a camera. I was like, I'm going to do photography. Like, uh, I just want to learn how to be, I just want to learn how to use a camera. And I really enjoy that. Um, and, but I just, I didn't know I'd had a blast, like going to parties and meeting people and, getting laid and all that stuff. But like, it, it was tertiary and fleeting, yeah. you know? Um, and again, I don't regret it. I have a lot of fun stories and uh, I have had a life I did not think was possible when I was that 10 year old kid. Yeah. Um, and if you, if you, if I got hit by a bus today, there were things I still want to do, but I would be like, fuck man. Like, uh, I had a pretty good run, <laughs> you know, like, um, and, and so like the, the what I, I wanted to think about somebody other than myself, I wanted to come be a part of a team and, and like a team that was executing and growing. And I love business. And like I said earlier, like that comics are not a business. Comics are, it, these creative industries are not like at the very, very, very top. Yeah. There's finance teams and, you know, uh, deals being struck, but, where I was at, I didn't have any agency. Um, and I wanted to be somewhere where I'm like, even if I don't have power or control, it's just that like, I understand what the mission is. Sure. And I understand that like what, a, what, what my part plays in it. Yeah. Um, and so far so good. I mean, that it's, it's, I can be all the things that I wanted to be. I mean, shit, I'm, I've done content with Evan, you know, like me and the art team get like, you know, get made fun of or, his puppet comes down and makes fun of us. Uh, you know, so I've, I've done content, I've written copy, I've drawn, I've made comics since I've been here. Actually, we have a comic that we put in the uh, coffee or die magazine. Now, like I work somewhere where all this random shit that I always thought made me the weirdo and that I accepted. I was cool. I just, I just accepted the fact that I was what I was and I was just going to pursue my interests, but I always felt like there's never going to be a place I can go where like I can be all these things and like lo and behold fucking Evan Hafer built the place yeah 
So having been able to accept the self-proclaimed weirdo and got into a place that, <laughs> that you feel like, like happy, right. And, and content, yeah. you can do all these things. What, what's the one thing that you have learned that you feel like other people should know that, that has gotten you to this point or that you maybe wish you would have known sooner? Uh, I guess it, it's sort of what we've already talked about and, I, and it would be kind of twofold. Like I, sooner isn't really right. Cause I feel like I've been, I, I think I've had to have been in the womb to do it sooner, um, <laughs> but it, it, to not let your fear control you learn what your fears are. Like you asked, do some real soul search and however you got to do it, like really, truly figure out what you're terrified of. And, and, and then consider like what the actual cost of doing business is if you were to actually try those things. And, and most people would realize very quickly that if you can just be all right with the fact that you might not succeed straight out the gate, um, there's no reason to be afraid of most things. Um, and I, I think that like, that would be the only real advice is just exploring that concept or question leads to other things, um, other kinds of introspection. Um, Cause then you're like, well, I'm afraid of X, Y, and Z. Here's why. And you're like, well, that's not really a reason to be afraid of something. Then you're like, well, why am I afraid of that? And you start thinking about shit that happened when you were fucking 10 or 20. And you're like, well, that wasn't that big of a deal actually. But like, for some reason I've been like kind of hanging around and letting it control me for a long time. Um, like life is extraordinary. And especially in America, um, you know, and I, so I'm not like, uh, you know, angry truck selfie guy, you know, ranting or anything, but like, I, I understand, I, I wish I could communicate better just what it means to be in a place where you, yeah, yeah like the school system was trying to like tell me to be a nun, but like on the flip side, how to write, I learned how to write. I learned about economics from like some great neutral teachers at Timberline, uh, shout out to Mr. Sandmeyer. Um, but, um, like the, the opportunity to go your own way exists here. Like, and it, it, it's like so many doors and extraordinary things happen. If you're just like, fuck it, I'm going to give it a shot. And, you know, everybody I've met to be sort of like the 21st century Napoleon Hill that has succeeded has succeeded by like, you know, how Sylvester would be like on the, on the wire and Tweety Bird would become a bite. It's a little piggy. It's a little piggy. Yep. Every, everybody I've ever seen that has succeeded was holding on by the last finger. And I'd consider myself the same, you know, like there's whole, barely holding on. And it's, it's like pushing past this point. That is what these people succeed with. Evan was crying in his garage He'd, he'd mortgaged everything. And this is public record. So I'm not saying anything like, uh, uh, gauche, uh, uh, he was done, mortgaged everything, no money in debt, had to throw a Hail Mary, hollered at JT and Matt on Facebook. Like that's black rifle coffee. He and Kate were roasting coffee with their first daughter, like in a papoose, like, you know, like it's, you, you have to go to a dark, shitty place which is not that dark and not that shitty, actually. It's just, it's just that fear and that ambiguity. If you want security and comfort, I guess you can get the illusion of it, but it's an illusion. Like 
you could work for Micron for 35 years. And one day they're gonna be like, well, you're too good at your job. We pay too much. So peace motherfucker. Um, it sucks, but it happens to teachers. It happens to, you know, most industries that like you will age out at a certain point. Um, and I don't know. I just, I think that like, I, it used to actually really bum me out, you, you know, and I finally kind of just leaned back on my belief in personal responsibility, but it's like, I, I don't talk about my life with people anymore. Like the things that, that are going on because um, now that we're in our thirties, it's no longer like, Oh, that's fun. I, I could maybe go to Spain for like, you know, three weeks as well. Or I could go to New York city for three years. It's like people are, got debt. People have families. Um, and that was that I made a deliberate choice. And maybe that's the way to wrap that up and say that, like, be deliberate about your choices. Cause I made a choice at 21 when I was talking to Paul and I'm like, you know what? I have to do this after Atlas shrugged after Napoleon Hill. I'm like, I can't drag somebody else into this and it's going to be so much harder if I do. So if I'm going to go and try to be this person and have this kind of life, I'm probably going to do it solo. I'm probably going to have to do it solo. Now, if somebody had come along that had been a good partner would have been in there in a hot minute. And I tried a couple of times, got some good stories out of it. So it wasn't, it wasn't a total loss, but um, you got to, it's, it's the, it's that ROI, man. It's cost benefit analysis and the return on investment. Like uh, you got to make those assessments in life. And if, if your, if your risk assessment is just that, like, you're not going to lose any money. You're not going to lose any face. You just might not succeed. Then you're just a pussy. <laughs> it's that simple. I think it is. Honestly, you can overcomplicate it. Like, and that, that's the Napoleon Hill thing. It's like, you can make all the arguments and justifications that you want, but like, if you're not doing it and you want to do it and it's within your power to try it, not, not automatically succeed at it, but just try it. You are failing you, nobody else. And that's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. Okay. All right, man. I feel like I'm fresh out of questions. <laughs> oh hell, I could probably come up with a billion more, man. <laughs> uh, fine, man. <laughs> but uh, is there is there anything that you feel like we might have glazed over, or uh, you feel that uh, you maybe don't get asked, or you're like, damn it, this is this is something super important to me. I want to share. Um, I think the only thing that I, I would cap it off with is that I don't understand why most people see successful people as something that's unattainable. Like somebody won the lottery or somebody, you know, uh, just was naturally gifted. I've never met somebody who's a wonder kid. And I've had the chance to meet like directors, successful comic book creators, business owners, CEOs, like people. I've, I've been in the room with a lot of people that I never thought I'd be in the room with. And none of those people are there, were there because somebody handed something to them. Um, and this kind of, for whatever reason, it's a big fucking blind spot for people is that that's why I also hate it when people are like, oh, I can't, I can never draw. It's like, no, you could. The, the, and I'm not saying that you should. It's just that like that kind of mentality is what keeps people from doing shit, you know, that, because they're like, oh, well, if I, if I had that one skill, did you come out? I didn't come out of the womb fucking drawing Spider-Man, <laughs> you know, like um, I still don't draw Spider-Man very well, but like, 
you know, I mean, there are people who have existed in, in the history of humanity that clearly were like better than everybody else at certain things, but they're so rare. And that would be like saying that like, we're all living in mud huts. And then there's one guy who has a mansion, like, right. you know, um, it, 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 it doesn't work that way. And I think that, so it's not so much about like, you need to understand your fellow man. It's like, you are fucking yourself over. If you think that every human being you can look at in your life in some way on Instagram or on film or whatever is successful because they won some sort of like environmental and genetic lottery. It, no, like it, you, if you want to do something, especially in this day and age, you unlimited access to information, tutorials, whatever, like, I mean, if you wanted to start your business, if you wanted to start a, a talk show 30 years ago, it would not be on our phones and uh, it would not be in your den in your house. Like right. this would have been like a hundred thousands of dollar investment, you know, and then you'd be trying to get radio time and all, I mean, you know, it, it's insane. Like, like it is insane to me that people don't just do what they want to do right now because they're like, it is so fucking cheap and possible <laughs> to do it. Like, but it's just like, well, I don't know how I'm going to get a hundred thousand followers. Get one, start somewhere, chop wood, carry water, motherfuckers. Like you, you will get better at it over time. Like, uh, you know, and I, I think that's that, that there it is right there. That's my cap off chop wood, carry water. Like that is how you learn how to use a sword. That's how you learn patience. Um, uh, for me, it was a thousand ink drawings. That's what Paul told me, you know, when I started, he's like, you're going to suck for a thousand. Uh, I was like, okay. And I'm a perfectionist. So I was like, well, I'll just suck for a thousand. And so I started ticking them off. I, I had a, I had a Flickr album that was just the first thousand yeah. and I would just go through and actually they weren't that bad. Even looking back at them now, I'm like, I'm not terrible. Like, and I think I, I think I stopped keeping track around like 400 or something. Um, I thought I was going to do it in a year. And I think I was eight years in at 400. <laughs> uh, now I'm well past that, but um yeah, it's, it's do those thousand ink drawings, you know, don't, you know, don't beat yourself up about a timeline or how old you are. And like, it's too late to start something. Bullshit. Bullshit. Like it's never too late. You don't know how long you're going to live. You know, I don't know if the Googles are going to give me a robot body. Um, like, so, you know, I, I don't think that 40 is probably the right time to go try to be a, uh, fucking, uh, you know, I don't know, like a paratrooper or something like, you know, uh, there's, physical limitations to certain things but most of the things that you can people want to do in life there's almost zero barrier to entry except their own their own fears okay i love it i totally agree <laughs> okay well thanks man i appreciate yeah. it chop <laughs> yeah. carry water Chris, man, once again, thank you for taking the time to sit down. I had a great time chatting and, and talking about all the existential thoughts and thinkings out there. I hope everyone took some good information away, some cool ways to think about things, maybe some new books to go read and uh, ways to tackle life. Uh, but with that being said, I hope you all have a great day and we'll catch you next time. 